The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 22:34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What's up, Sacred City? Come on now. Come on now. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. First, before I get started, I got to give thanks to God, who's the head of my life and the head of this church and all those who call him Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Also, before I go any further, I have to give thanks to my brother, my big little brother, Pastor Justin. I love this brother. Um, and he is your pastor. He's been an awesome guy. I, and it's good for me to just come back and see this church and see it has grown. And, and uh, just it, that it started with them, you know, them too, their family. And they've been awesome leaders here at the church. Hey, y'all, do y'all love your pastor? Can y'all put your hands together? Do y'all do that? See, I, I do that and I've done this every time I've come back because we don't appreciate our pastors enough. Honestly, it's a hard job. We love y'all, but y'all hard, you know? <laughs> and these, they're an awesome couple. They took us out to, uh, what was the place like? Happy, Happy Joe's last night. <laughs> I got five kids, so it was an awesome time for them. You know, we got to hang around the table and watch them have a good time. But I love this family, and they're your family. They're your pastor, his wife. They serve this church relentlessly. They pray for you guys. And that's also for the leadership here at this church, too. I'm sitting here listening to worship, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. Look at what God is doing in your church. You guys should be excited about all the work that he's doing here, giving thanks to him for all the work that he's doing here, and looking forward to all that he's going to do. Amen? Amen, amen. Well, every time I come, I bring some of my family, okay? I got five kids. I usually bring one or two. This time, I brought all five of them, okay? I got four girls and one little boy. He's named after me. Y'all pray for him, and you pray for me too, okay? (laughs) I brought my beautiful wife. I've told you about her before, but y'all, she is the sugar in my Kool-Aid. She's the aftershave on my bald head and the wonder in my wonder bread. I love me some of her, obviously. We got five kids, (laughs) y'all. I love that woman. Uh, She's amazing. And uh, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. Um, Our pastor church has been said, it's called Renewal Church of Chicago. We started this church about four and a half years ago in Chicago, Illinois. And this passion or burden, if you want to say, came on my heart to to plant a multi-ethnic gospel center, multi-generational, multicultural, disciple-making church in the city of Chicago. And the reason we wanted to see that is because Chicago is very diverse, but yet divided on many different lines. And we wanted to see a church that brought together multiple different people groups under the banner of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that can hold people together from different walks of life. So we started this church, and by God's grace, 
it's can continually grown. It's about four and a half years old, about 250 or so. And that's a huge church for the city. So God has been doing an awesome work. And just like your church, I always say it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of what he's got in store for us. And I'm looking forward to all the days ahead. If you're ever in Chicago, y'all come visit me, okay? Y'all come visit me. Come visit the church, but also visit me. I told you I got four girls, all right? Y'all can visit me, all right? It's going to be a good time. I'll show you around Chicago. We'll get some food and all that. And I'm serious, too. Come on and visit me in the city. Um, before I get started, y'all laugh a bit, but um, I am a brown preacher. Y'all see this? <laughs> I have to remind y'all because some of you guys are new. You've never heard me preach before. So as I'm preaching, okay, I know Justin preaches and y'all are used to his preaching. But look, when I preach, y'all can say Amen. amen. You can say hallelujah, you can jump, wave your hands, do all that. Just don't say bring it on, preacher, because that means sit down and be quiet, all right? If you don't say anything, that means preach longer. So I know y'all want to get out of here and get some food and stuff. So y'all talk to me, okay? It'll help me preach faster. <laughs> we good with that? Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, I've been excited to be here, and I know you guys have been preaching through a series talking about uh, being a church for the city. And being a church that's in the city, but not just in the city, but for the city. And what does that mean? That means as a church, we seek the welfare of the city. We want to see the city better because we're here. And I tell our church all the time, I say, look, if God ever saw fit to, for any reason, remove Renewal Church of Chicago from the city, the city would miss us. That being said they would miss us because we were so for the city. We did so much for the city. They fell in love with us. They fell in love with Jesus. So if we were removed, they would say, what happened to renewal? What happened to this church that was so, so good for our city? And that's what it means to be for the city. We don't just huddle up inside the four walls of the church, but we come together. Yes, we gather. We get equipped. But we also go out into the city. We go out into the highways and the byways, as the old folk used to say, and we go out and hit the streets. We work in our, in our places of work. We do it in our homes, as she was saying in the video. We open up that house, and we have good food. We welcome our neighbors in. That's what it means being for the city. That's what it means to be a church. It's a church on the move, not just stagnant. Amen. Amen. So today I want to talk about a topic in my church that we talk about a lot. And as I told you, with this very diverse and uh, church or city across racial lines and socioeconomic lines. But sadly, if you don't know much about Chicago, it's the, also the most divided city across those same lines nationally. And this topic that we talk about is called crossing lines. We talk about crossing lines. And what I mean by crossing lines is, is doing life with other people and more importantly doing life with those who you wouldn't normally do life with I mean ask yourselves ask yourself this question what does it look like to do life with an individual or better yet what does it look like to do life with another individual who is not like you where you have to cross a certain line whether that line be a racial line be a gender line it be a political line a socioeconomic a friendship, a parent, parenting, a marriage, we can go on down the line and so forth. What is that line that we have to cross in order to do a relationship with someone else? See, because if we're genuinely called by God as Christians who believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're called to impact the world for his glory, then we have to learn how to navigate through those lines and then intentionally step over them. See, crossing lines, hear me, family, 
it takes a lot of vulnerability. And sometimes it takes a willingness to get hurt. And what I mean by vulnerability and a willingness to get hurt is, ask yourself, how many of you have genuine friends where you're not vulnerable with them? Think about it. It's not a trick question. How many of you have genuine friends where you're not vulnerable? It doesn't exist, right? How many of you have friends where they don't get on your nerves sometimes? Where you don't like them? Some of y'all are married and riding down middle road today. You know, you're getting here and y'all are arguing with each other. Oh, I can't stand you. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand you. I love you, but you're getting on my nerves. Y'all right? Y'all laughing because that's true, right? We go to church. We got to get it together. I mean, it doesn't exist, right? You, you got friends but that don't get on your nerves. That doesn't exist. Family, hear me. There's a big difference between associates and friends or simply having a genuine love for someone rather than just having a friend on Facebook. Because somebody's sitting here saying, I got a thousand friends on Facebook. I'm the most likable person in the world. You look, look, let me tell you a secret. They don't know you. <laughs> you don't know them either. That's not friendship. Hear me, family, because here's the, here's the thing. We can talk all day about the racial disparity. We can talk about socioeconomic divides. We can talk about politics. We can talk about having rallies and holding up picket signs. We can do all these things, but change will only come through genuine relationships and loving your neighbor. Real change happens at dinner tables where we have conversations and we get under the cover of each other's lives, sitting across from one another, someone who's different than you. And let me put it this way, because I don't want you to miss what I'm saying here. I'm going to take it a little bit deeper here real quick. Y'all got your floaties on? You ready to go deep with me? All right, okay, okay. Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all get on the way home. See, I get this question a lot, being a, a black man, and a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, I'll get my, my, my white brothers or sisters would come up to me and say, I really want to do life with black people. But I don't know how to engage them. How do I do it? What should I do? How should I take that step forward? Should I start with sorry? And I say as a black man, Dealing with injustice and the history in our, in our state, slavery and the injustice here, racism here in America. Look, I don't desire just for my white or brother or sister to say sorry to me. That really doesn't do it. I mean, the sorry doesn't replace 400 years of injustice and a slave trade that killed millions. Or the fact that, hear me, as a larger black man, despite the fact that I have a master's degree... I have a, I, I pastor a multi-ethnic church, I have a beautiful family. I can be walking down the street, and just because I'm a larger black man, walking on the side of the street, people can be afraid of me, have no idea who I am. But just because of their perception of the history in the United States, they're like, something's wrong here, I'm afraid of him. They cross the street, they clutch their purses, don't know who I am. So hear me. Sorry, it just doesn't get it. See, true relationships, hear me, this is where I'm going. True relationships take empathy. They take compassion to where you're not just sorry, but you now want to know me. You want to get to know my struggle. 
You want to get to know who I am, which now it forces you in turn to seek the betterment of not yourself, but the betterment of someone else. See, hear me, family. This does not happen, though, without genuine engagement by each and every last one of us that calls Jesus Lord. It, 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 it's us engaging one another and now crossing that line. Hear me. Invite me out to dinner. I like, I like to eat. I promise we'll have a good time. You come to Chicago, I already told you, we'll go out to eat. That, that's where real life change happens. Getting to know one another. But let's get into text because I'm going to get to preaching too quickly and uh, get too passionate too quick. So let's get into the text. We're in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. You've already read it. Heard it read today. This passage, I want you to hear me, is one of the main biblical verses. When you think about crossing lines one another, this is where Jesus is really speaking to that. The reason being is because as you talk about being this gospel-centered, disciple-making church here in the city that brings together all types of people from different walks of life, I want you to remember that this is biblical. It's biblical. It's not something that I or Pastor Justin just came up with. We're really reading the Bible. And we're like, man, we just got to talk about being a, a church for the city. You know why? Because it's not easy. It's not something you just wake up and be like, I just want to cross lines with all different types of people. I want to get to know everybody. Everybody's going to be my friend. It's hard. It's not easy. But hear me, it's biblical and it's always fruitful. Jesus teaches us to love him and our neighbor. Amen? So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, and today I want to preach simply again on crossing lines. But before we go any further, let me pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this morning. It's been an awesome morning so far, God, and I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross. Let me decrease so that you may increase in this place. Father, allow your people to hear from you. Not for me. Have your will and let it be done here in this church. God, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. Well, in college, I started and I ran this ministry. It was a black ministry to students on campus. It was called the Impact Movement. And I intentionally wanted to start this ministry but integrate it with the all-white ministry on campus that was called Campus Crusade. Anybody heard of Campus Crusade? It was on campus. I loved the ministry, but I was the only black guy that would come into the room most of the time. Now, integrating this ministry with the ministry I started was simply one of the hardest things I'd ever done in my life up to this point. But when I looked at the Bible and I read about Jesus, Jesus didn't just talk a good game. He walked a good game. And what that means is he didn't just talk about it. He was about it. He walked it out. So that meant that if I'm going to really start this ministry and I really want to integrate the two, then that means I can't just talk about it, but I have to live my life intentionally in front of other people and see this thing really happen. So what I did is I intentionally started going to Campus Crusade Bible Studies on campus. It would be me and four other white dudes sitting in a room just looking at the Bible and, and seeing how does Jesus live this out? What, what does the Bible actually say about our lives? And during my junior year, y'all, I took it to a whole new, le new level, okay? I, I, I moved out of my house, and I moved into a four-bedroom townhome with these four other guys, four white dudes and me, okay? So we moved into this house. It was a three-level house. 
The, the bottom floor had a kitchen. It had a living room where we do Bible studies. Then the second floor, we had, it was two bedrooms. But one bedroom, we turned into a quiet room with couches where you could only read and study in your Bible. Then the other room, we all put all our computers and our desk in, so, and all the computers were facing outward so everybody could see what's on each other's screen. That's accountability. If y'all didn't know, that's what we did in that room. And then on the top level... There was two conjoining rooms, so it's like one big room, and all five of us slept in the same room. Not in the same bed, but we had the same room. <laughs> now, that may, that may sound a little weird, but look, I was serious about this multi-ethnic thing, all right? We lived in this house together. You had me from Gary, Indiana, all black city, murder cap of the world when I was growing up, and then you got white dudes from the country, some from racist towns. We're all living in the same house. We're eating together. We're doing Bible studies together. We kept one another accountable. I even, y'all hear me, I even had to correct one of the friends that came over to the house because, y'all, I have this thing when people get real comfortable with me. You don't know me. It's kind of weird. You just start talking to me like, yeah, bro. I'm like, I don't know you. And so we're sitting at the, around the, uh, in the couch area, and he starts talking to me, and he's like, yeah, man, I had this one brother that came around me, a white guy, and he's like, I had this one brother who came around me, and, and, and he was trying to comb his hair, and the comb couldn't get through his head, and his name was Jamal, and I'm like, what? I said, what, what, was he white or black? And he said, what you mean, man? He, he couldn't get the comb through his head, and his name was Jamal. I said, ur, ur, wait a second. You don't know me like that. Y'all, I had to refrain from punching this dude in the mouth because I didn't know him. I lost all my Christianity for just a second. <laughs> Walked out the house, came back a couple hours later, told my roommate, I got to talk to your friend. He said, yes, there, go ahead and do it. I sat down with his brother. I told him what happened. He had no clue in his ignorance, and we're friends to this day. So sure, family, hear me. There were some awkward moments. There were some very hard moments, but it was fruitful. And this intentionality, it didn't stop with me. But I would intentionally take our ministry, All Black, and we would now pair with the All White ministry on campus and do events together. And at, at the beginning, all the black folks would be like, why we got to go to the white ministry? Why we got to sing their songs? Why we got to do that? And then by the end of it, you know what they were saying? Why don't we do more together? Why don't we hang out more together? Why don't we do all our events together? Why is it separate? Why is the church separated? Why do we do that? And don't you know, over 14 years later, that ministry that we started is one of the largest in the country of its kind. They still do life together with the all-white ministry on campus. They're discipling one another, living in the same houses together. They're still doing all this to this day. Now, family, why am I telling you about all of this? Hear me, it's not to toot my own horn, beep, beep, none of that. But hear me, some lines should not exist. But lines that keep us divided from doing life from one another, they will not get crossed un unless we intentionally step over them. I mean, seeing the line that divides us, not just looking at it and waiting for someone else to step over it, but it means us. Stepping over the line, meeting someone else where they are. It's meeting them where they're at. That's what Jesus did for us. Friends, as we enter today, I want to challenge you 
to acknowledge those lines that you have may you may have put up in your life, whether it's intentionally or unintentional, whether it's inside your comfort zone or outside your comfort zone. Let us be a people that adhere to the word of God. Not to how we feel, but adhere to the word of God and love him and our neighbor. This is exactly the command that Jesus lays forth from us, for us in the text today. In the text today, there, there, there's, there's a string of testing that's going on. This is in the context of on the, from the Sadducees towards Jesus. These were some religious leaders of the day. They're testing Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. They want to catch him in heresy or have him say something that's false. They asked him about taxes, and then they asked him about the resurrection. And both times, after Jesus responds, the crowd, it says that the crowd is astonished at his teaching. Y'all, they can't touch Jesus. It's like MC Hammer up in this joint. Hammer time. Can I, y'all can't touch this. Y'all don't know who MC Hammer is? Come on now. Come on. Go, go look him up. He's broke now, but MC Hammer. Hammer time. They couldn't touch Jesus. They tried, but they couldn't touch him. You got to love how Jesus in the text, in the face of testing or hard situations, he never falters or stumbles, but instead he speaks strong. He stays strong right there, speaks the truth, and the people can't argue with the truth. He doesn't give them what they want to hear. He doesn't candy coat it at all. He, he just states truth, and they know the truth, so they can't argue, which leads to the passage today because the crowd is doing the same thing in this passage by questioning him on the commandments. And I love how the passage begins by saying that the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. He, he put them on dead mouth, as they say where I'm from. They, they couldn't talk anymore. It, it, it's almost, and now the Pharisees come around, so it, it's kind of almost like the, the little brother getting beat up by the, the, the group of people, and they go get the big brother, yo, he beat me up, I, can't, I couldn't even do nothing about it, can you come help me? They went to go get the Pharisees, but not only did they get the Pharisees, they now bring back the lawyers with them, the big dogs, they come back with them, and now they're going to confront Jesus. Now, friends, these lawyers, they're much like the lawyers of today where they will be experts on the law. So they knew all the answers. They could test anyone. They could bang with the best of them. And he asked Jesus a question where none of the Pharisees or the Sadducees had settled on the answer yet. No, no, they're still arguing on this. And this question regarded this ongoing debate on what are the lesser or less important or light things in the law or what are the more weighty truths of the law. They're still arguing which one is which. They don't have an answer, but yet in the text, they proceed to ask Jesus. And they're doing this because they want to test him. Teacher, which is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And when they say this, they're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. They're talking about the whole Old Testament. What's the, what's the greatest commandment in all of the Old Testament, Jesus? What, what is it? Now watch this. You got to love Jesus' answer. He answered them by saying, verse 37. Look at it with me again. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus first states scripture from Deuteronomy 6.5 about loving the Lord with all your heart. Where these religious leaders here in the text, they would have known this because they had to recite this not once but twice a day. 
They had to remember this because for Jews, it represented total devotion to God and no one else. So they would have understood this commandment. But I think the one that might have boggled them is what Jesus said next, which, hear me again, is nothing new. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. But they would have known this because the Ten Commandments, okay, the first four represent devotion to God. But then those second, those six that are left talk about our relationship to one another. So, again, they would have, they would have understood that I need to love other people. So that's not new. But when Jesus says this, he's saying that one without the other is impossible. Hence, you can't love God and not love your neighbor. Doesn't work that way. This would have been new, which means we have to pay attention to this neighbor part because the question becomes, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Jesus says it in a way to the Pharisees, if you studied this, where the neighbor may have been a Gentile or a different race, someone different than you. But again, you still should love your neighbor. Now, this would have disturbed them because Jews really didn't care for Gentiles. They didn't like them. They called them dogs. They didn't like these folks. People different than them. No, no, no. We don't want anything to do with them. In fact, they thought that salvation was just for them. But Jesus is saying it's for everybody. On top of that, these are some self-absorbed Pharisees. And he's really rebuking them saying, this ain't about you. This is about your neighbor. Love your neighbor. See, what Jesus is ultimately saying, hear me, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about upward devotion between us and God, but it's also about horizontal devotion between one another. It's the cross-shaped gospel. When you think about that cross where Jesus is hanging on that cross, there's two beams that make this cross. There's one beam that's vertical. It's up and down. That represents our reconciliation through Jesus' blood on the cross to God. But that horizontal beam where his hands are nailed to that cross, blood dripping from his hands, you know what that represents? That represents horizontal reconciliation to one another. It's the cross-shaped gospel. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to these folks right now. See, Jesus himself models this on the cross while hanging there. He's praying to God. He's submitting to him saying, your will be done, Father, for, for they, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, God. But then at the same time, he's looking at the thief next to him who has nothing in common with him. But he's saying, look, forgive, you're forgiven. You will be in paradise with me today. Two different types of devotion. Devotion to God, but also horizontal reconciliation to one another. Y'all see the cross-shaped gospel? It, that's the gospel. It's both. It's not one and not the other. Friends, your relationship with Jesus is not just about you and him, but it's about sharing your life with other people, hence once we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, your life is not about you anymore. Nope. But instead, your life should be shared with others to make Jesus' name and his glory shine throughout the earth. 1 John 4, 20, it states this. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, the point is that God commands believers to not just love him, but also for us to love our neighbors. But I know the question that's still lingering in our minds is, well, who are our neighbors? Well, let's answer that. 
They are the black, the white, the Asian, the Latino, every race of people. They are the rich, the poor, the middle class. They are the Republican and the Democrat. They are the prostitute, the homosexual, the transgender, the bisexual, and the straight. They are the orphan, the widow, the sex slave, and the sex trafficker. They are the murderer and the victim. They are the guilty and the innocent. They are the good kids and the so-called bad kids. They are the crooked politicians and the good politicians, the police officers, the lawyers, the businessmen, and the veterinarian. They are the folks that are different from you and similar they are you and me but see if we're honest here's the thing I know that for some of us as I read that list we started to squirm a bit like no pastor not not those folks not, 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 they can't be my neighbor no 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 because some of the people I just mentioned they're very different than you are they maybe do things or have done things that you may not approve of. We don't agree with it. So how can they be my neighbor? And, and notice, I didn't just say your neighbor is the Christian. It's where we get it mixed up a lot. Sometimes it is the Christian, but more times than most, it's not the Christian. It's the person that we need to live our life out in front of in order for them to see God through us. It's being sought in light of the world. So hear me, let us not ever think of ourselves better than someone else because we are, because we're running after God. I'm running after God, I'm trying to be with him and, 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 I, and I love him so, so I can't associate with these certain people because they're different than me, they're not good enough to be around me or I gotta, I gotta be right all by myself. No, 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 family, all of us have done something in here that God would not approve of. All of us have had sin at one point in our life. If not right now, we all are still sinners. See, what God requires of us is perfection and holiness. And if we're all honest, y'all, we all miss that mark, me included. See, and what that does is it puts us all in the same category or the box as other people that we don't agree with or want to do life with. You see, what I'm trying to say is that when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he did? He leveled the playing field. He leveled the playing field because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we all needed a Savior. And Jesus hung on the cross, not just for those people that we deem as bad or different, but instead for the whole world to see because we all needed him. We all needed a Savior. See, and here's the point. Here's the point. We all, the world, the whole world is in need of Jesus, whether we deem ourselves as bad or good. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor, don't miss this. When he says this, he's really saying to us, remember, remember you were in sin too. And although it may have been a different situation or not the same scenario, you were still loved by me. So now go out and love your neighbor as you have been loved. Hear me. It's only because of the grace of God that me or you or anybody that calls Jesus Lord is saved. It's nothing we do. It's all because of Jesus. He's loved us that much. Friends, hear me. Jesus crossed the first line. He came into a world that didn't want him. So for us, 
that call him Savior and Lord, crossing lines to engage people, it's not an option. But this is what we should be doing. It's part of our lives. Which, friends, hear me, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But if we obey the first command to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and our strength, then that means that we will follow him, which in turn, we will do as he did, and now we'll love the world. We do this just like Jesus, hoping and praying that by sharing our lives with others, it will cause folks to come to know him as Savior and Lord. But we have to love our neighbors. It doesn't work if we don't love other people. See, family, Jesus took the whole law. He condenses it into two commandments. He said, my command is for you to love me and to love other people. Now, again, I, I know this is hard. It's difficult. But hear me, if we remember our sin, if we remember our shortcomings, if we remember our mess-ups and our issues and the fact that we have been saved as sinners, you know what? We won't be able to look at other people and look down on them as if they're less than us or they're not deemed worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because although their sin is not our sin, it's still sin. And guess what? I already said it. We all need Jesus. See, if we love Jesus, it will compel us to have compassion and cross those lines with people we wouldn't normally cross lines with and enter into relationships with people that we wouldn't normally get into relationship with. So we got to ask ourselves this morning, what do your relationships look like? Do you do life with people that are different than you or the same? Better yet, what do your dinner tables look like? And I'm not just talking racially, but are you sitting across the table with people that make a less amount of money than you or more money than you? Do, do you? do you sit across the table with people that don't value the same thing as you? Do you sit across the table with other people that may be Democrat and you're Republican? Do you sit across the table with people that, that love Alabama and the other one loves Auburn? <laughs> what do those dinner tables look like? Who are you doing relationships with? Again, this is not always comfortable. And hear me, the Christian life is not always comfortable. I mean, take this passage, for example. Jesus is hanging out with these guys, allowing himself to be questioned by folks he really doesn't like. Sadducees and Pharisees, Jesus ain't like, y'all, I love y'all. Just ask me all the questions you want. No. But yet he's sitting there and he's doing life with them. He's ministering to them, even though you don't really care for them. Family, sometimes crossing lines is not easy. But we do so because Jesus crossed the line with us first being sinners. But see, the problem is we only want to do life with those who make us better. Yeah, it's true. We only want to do life with people who are relevant to our situation. It's where it's convenient for us. I mean, think about it for a minute, though. What if Jesus did the same thing? What if he had the same motivation, said, I'm only going to hang out with people that are like me. I'm only going to save the ones that are like me. You know what? We wouldn't, none of us would be saved. We probably wouldn't be alive because it tells us the wages of sin is death. So hear me. If Jesus wouldn't have chose the cross, 
If Jesus wouldn't have chose to step out and cross that first line, y'all, we wouldn't be here. And he did something that wasn't convenient, and it sure enough wasn't comfortable. So ask yourself the question, what, is, what, what, is, what does my table look like? What does my inner circle look like? Jesus' inner circle, he had tax collectors in it. People that folks hate it. He had fishermen who were the bottom of the barrel in society. He had a prostitute that he saved that's following him around. I mean, look, look, Jesus chose to cross lines with people that weren't like him. Friends, what does that circle look like in your life? How are you doing relationships with other people? Sacred City, hear me. It is impossible to truly love God and not love your neighbor. If you look at this text, you don't love your neighbor to the point where you're able to share your life with them or someone that's different than you, then here's the hard truth. Kind of lets us know that we really don't love God. What do your relationships look like? Family, as we think about crossing lines, I want you to pray about this. Would you pray about this? I want you to ask God, what lines do I need to cross in my life? Who are the people that I'm around all the time, but yet I have not engaged in relationship with them? Because friends, hear me, it's easy to claim to be a Christian and still do your own thing. But it's very hard to truly live as a Christian and live for the betterment of your neighbor. Friends, if you want to see your church grow, as Jesus is saying right here in the text, and I do too, I think you do too, then it's going to take a movement of individuals saying, I'm taking my faith serious with Jesus and his commandment, and, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to cross lines with people I wouldn't normally do so with. And we're going to be a church that looks different than all the other churches, and we're going to impact the city for his glory. Family, if we want racism in, you know what we got to do? We got to step over the line. We want the social economic divide to come down, those walls come down before, between the rich and the poor. We got to step over the line. If we want to see this world a, a flat-out better place, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take us being intentional, crossing lines. This is what he's calling us to do in the text is to be Christians, to be believers that cross lines with other people. Friends, let us pray together that God would open our eyes to the needs of all those around us. And my prayer for you, family, Sacred City, is that you would be a church that doesn't just stand there, see the line in front of them with their neighbor across it, and wait for somebody else to take care of it. Doesn't stand there and see the line and, and, and is afraid of what somebody might think of them. Or fearful of what it may do to your status or who you are in society. But yet you'll see the line and instead you'll step over it. You'll meet people where they are. And my prayer is that as a church, you will continually make Jesus' name great. And this city will be different and better because you are here. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, you're awesome. You're a good God. God, I pray that as a people of God and as a church, 
that we would know that you don't call us just to do life with one another and have community with each other inside these four walls and where it's just comfortable and awesome. Yeah, that's part of it, God. But you've also kept us here as believers to go out and to share our life with other people, do life with them so that they'll see you through us. God, as a church, we shouldn't be waiting on society or anybody else to cause change or see walls of division or lines crossed to all that to happen. No, no, you've called us to do it. So, God, I pray that as we're praying to be a church for the city, that we would intentionally live lives that resemble that and just cross lines because you first crossed the line with us. You left heaven and came down when you didn't have to. And then you died on the cross for our sins. God, you've been good to us. Let us walk in those same footsteps with other people. God, we love you. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Amen. Amen.